Welcome to the Experts in Sport podcast, brought to you by the School of Sport, Exercise and Health Sciences at Loughborough University. Today I'm with Dr. Vori Morris, and we're going to discuss the recently NHS-approved drug, Anastrozole, and its potential role in preventing breast cancer. We'll look at what the drug does and who might benefit from taking it. We'll also discuss the role that exercise and diet can play in helping prevent breast cancer. So, hi Vori, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thank you, thank you very much for having me again. Yeah, again, ex- exactly. It was a while ago. We had you on and, and I did. A, I digged into some research. It was episode 24 and it's quite a while ago. Um, and for those who haven't heard you before, um, you can provide with a brief introduction. But, th- but for those who want to listen to do episode 24, we did touch upon um, exercise, the immune system and cancer. We might repeat some of that today, but there's probably some more in depth on those specifics. Uh, especially around the immune system, if people want to listen to it. But for those who haven't heard from you before, can you just give us a brief introduction of your background? Sure, absolutely. So um, my name is Barry. I've been at Loughborough since 2017. I originally trained as a tumour virologist when I did my PhD in Birmingham, which basically meant I worked on a cancer, a very rare cancer that's uh, linked to a specific virus that most of us have, Epstein-Barr virus. And so at that time, maybe rather ashamedly, I thought you got cancer, you took chemotherapy, surgery, radiotherapy, whatever, and then you either got better or you didn't. I had no real concept over the notion that we could do things to prevent cancer. And it was when I joined Loughborough seven years ago that it opened up a whole new world to me. And so I started to explore the role of exercise and how it can prevent cancer, how it helps cancer patients to rehabilitate as they're going through treatment, and it helps to prevent secondary metastases as well, which of course is the, the big killer in the cancer field. So yeah, that's me. Excellent. And what you're currently working on some projects beyond the lab. I am, yeah. So um, since I joined Loughborough, we developed a novel 3D in vitro model. So I'm really interested in, I'm I'm a visual learner, so I really like to, to picture things in 3D. So we've done this in, in the cells, but I've also got a project where we're trying to 3D print a tumour from a patient's scans and see if that can be helpful in helping them communicate with their loved ones. Um, and I've also got a potential CrossFit intervention in breast cancer survivors. It's a collaboration with somebody at uh, Nottingham Trent University. Her name is Dr. Athalie Redwood-Brown. We happened to just meet each other at a conference, got chatting and thought we should do something together. And um, a few weeks later, we submitted a bid to the Royal Cancer Research Fund. So hopefully, watch this space, we'll see. Uh, we'll get some money to, to perform this CrossFit intervention. Hopefully. And, and I did see that in the notes prior to his meeting. And unbeknown to you, I was, I am a CrossFit level one coach. Really? Um, I am. I, I was, I was the first coach to help at CrossFit Nottingham. Um, and this is back in, I think, 2011, maybe. Okay. I might be slightly wrong. It was around then. And and I, I know Athalie. I, I met Athalie um, at CrossFit Nottingham. And I know she went and opened a box at Derby. So she yep. opens, owns that with, with her husband, who I also know. Um, and I think she's she's also opened something ar- around cancer. Do you know more about what what, she, what she's done with her box there? So I know that she did an intervention. Well, she did an inter- intervention with young uh, young cancer survivors and looked at the impact of CrossFit on their physical and mental health. Um, but she also did a, a questionnaire study where she got responses from all her CrossFit you know, people who do CrossFit basically. So they're not a particular cancer population, they're just the general population, but then looked at the impact that it had on their medication use, on their other symptoms for things like anxiety and depression. And it, um, I think there was something like a 62% reduction, or maybe been 65%, it's a lot, reduction in medication use and a 40% reduction in medical appointments for other illnesses, not, not cancer related. 
just in from using CrossFit. <laughs> and that is is very yeah. interesting. And you may or may not know, I I also own a gym. I, I nearly opened I nearly opened CrossFit Nottingham West with the CrossFit okay. Nottingham owners. Um, long story short, we didn't do it in the end. Um, years and years later. I then opened a gym. It's now about four years ago. So we opened a gym called the Fitness Collective. Um, and a lot of it is that functional type exercise. We we don't do the Olympic lifting. Um, so that's probably the main difference with, with CrossFit, um, I would say. But I think the interesting point to mention here, we opened the gym. So there's four of us who own this and one guy manages it. And Nick, who manages it, is, well, he, he had cancer. Um, he's, he's one of my best friends. He, he had cancer and he had bone cancer and mm. long story short he had to remove his toe five years later almost to the day he was re-diagnosed with cancer again and okay. he had to make the decision to amputate his leg so he he then we were then having conversations about you know his his job and what he does and at the time he was a plumber and then a quantity surveyor um and he was kind of saying you know the the, the exercise and rehab absolutely got me back to being healthy and fit and, and those kind of things and then again with friends we're having breakfast and it's like would you ever consider opening the, the gym you were going to open um Foz as I as I'm known to my friends and I said well I will but when my, my son you know he's he's five years old or whatever he was at the time probably when he's 18 I might look at doing that um blah 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 they said well, why don't we do it why don't why don't we just open a gym and I said I'll tell you what I'll send you the business plan you know, thinking they're not really bothered. Genuinely, my version of the story is that I sent them the business plan and then Nick, who who runs the gym, the, the guy who, who had cancer, literally quit his job. And I decided, wow. I said, well, I'll mentor you then. You do your personal training. I'll mentor you. We'll try and open a gym. He did his qualification. I mentored him. And 12, 18 months later, and it was a long time of, of looking at how we did this gym and the rest of it, we, we opened a gym. And that's been, I mean, timing wasn't great. It was 2020, uh, January 2020. Uh, so COVID was a bit of a killer, uh, but we're still open. We're going well. Everything's great. Um, and Athlete actually did contact me asking about the potential of sort of looking at something with cancer due to due to Nick. Um, and I, the conversation probably never ended up going anywhere. So, Athlete, I'm going to tag you if you're listening. Yeah. We could probably have that chat again. Um, I'm sure so, she'd <laughs> sure be very interested. It's one of those. We're, we're all very busy. But um, I did want to mention that just because the exercise side of things, I think we will touch upon, is <laughs> of interest to us both, I, I yeah. think. So, um, so, yeah, I thought that'd be news you might be interested in. That certainly is. How on earth do you fit it all in? <laughs> um well yeah good good point good question and, and, and let's say if the dean's listening i i meet with him i meet with a manager like for an hour a week um so he he runs it you know i go in and train a couple of times a week and meet with him and, and realistically nick nick runs the show um okay. so that's how i fit it in with with strong people around me let's yeah, put it team. that way Fair yes um so today we're not here to talk about that we're, we're here to talk about the recently approved uh approved by the nhs the drug Anastrozole, have I got that right? Anastrozole. I knew I'd messed that up. Anastrozole. Pronounce it different ways. Don't worry about it. But anastrozole. And well, it it seems to have you know huge potential in in preventing breast cancer. Um, So we can touch upon that, and we will get to that. But before we do, can we can we kind of have a look at what breast cancer is and and how it develops, and you know how many people does this affect in the UK? 
Sure. So it is one of the big, most common cancers across the world. It's number two out of the, the big four that they call them. Um, in the UK, one in seven females, they estimate, will be diagnosed with breast cancer at some point in their life. And between the years of 2016 and 2018, it accounted for 11,500 deaths. So survival is actually pretty high. We've got about 76% survival rate of people who have been diagnosed with breast cancer and survive 10 years beyond their diagnosis date. So it's pretty good survival odds, but obviously we would love to lower it because it's such a big uh, cancer. It's one of the most common ones. The more we can prevent it, the better. So you asked how it develops, what causes it. Uh, I think without going into too much biochemistry detail here, I'll, I'll put on my as simple as I can hat and describe what happens in cancer. So cancer in general, not just breast cancer, but all cancers are caused by two major things. One, a mutation in the DNA that causes some the cells take on a new persona almost that helps them to grow more rapidly and divide more rapidly and it's, they also don't listen to the normal signals that tell the cells to stop growing and die off when they should when they've got this dna damage um, and then there's also a failure in the immune system so normally our bodies are really good at, at regulating that and spotting cancer cells rogue cancer cells and eliminating them quite quickly but sometimes when you just have that is an the perfect storm really and the unlucky event of having a lowered immune system and a series of mutations that are going to uh, cause these cells to to grow out and form a lump a tumor so thank you for giving us the brief explanation and and you know and not not digging too deep um but feel feel free to dig deep i'll, I'll ask the questions that i feel sure. you know i need understanding for which may help other listeners um so thanks for the kind of the brief overview with that so are there any people that are more susceptible to to breast cancer or, or cancers in particular? hundred uh, percent. So women who are postmenopausal and not undergoing hormone replacement therapy. So basically what happens in women when we before menopause, our ovaries produce all the estrogen. And when we go through menopause, suddenly that stops. And instead, our bodies have to rely on estrogen produced by our fat cells. So this is why it's often quite common for women to put on weight as they go through menopause and find it really hard to lose it after they've gone through it as well because your body's kind of clinging on to it it needs it wants this source of estrogen obviously we also live in a society where food is freely available not freely available we have to pay for it but it's much more accessible and it's really calorie dense food so there's an awful lot of um people who are overweight or obese and and it's these this population of of patients or people who are more at risk of developing breast cancer. So postmenopausal and slightly overweight or obese individuals because they've got excess fat cells which produce excess estrogen, which is what drives the growth of breast cancer. Are there, are there other risk, risk factors that, that are kind of around this as well? Because I know from what I've seen, there's, there's potentially things like alcohol or red meat or other things are there other factors? Yes, there are. So um, alcohol consumption definitely does increase levels of estrogen or free free floating estrogen around the system. Um, red meat, there is some evidence that it might do, but eating things like a, a diet that's rich in leafy greens and rich in protein and low in saturated fats and low in refined sugary foods, anything that basically contributes to putting on weight and being obese, uh, this is this, these are the things that might, might enhance the risk as well or lower the risk, depending on how you're looking at it. <laughs> Is there any elements here of, I'm just trying to think out loud, really. So in terms of preventing 
we're talking about staying healthy, as we would term that. What would we what would we term healthy in these risk factors you mentioned before? So what, what would the healthy weight be? Are we okay. looking at BMIs, body fat percentages? Yeah, I mean, you can look at BMI. It's obviously not a perfect measure, but it's a, it's a good standard measure that we have. Ideally, keeping our BMI between 20 and 25. That's the healthy weight range or the healthy BMI range in individuals. So maintaining a lean body mass. So the more, even if your BMI is slightly high, if you're more muscular, and less of the sort of wobbly stuff that you can pinch around the middle, then then um, that's going to serve you well. Um, people who tend to have to store fat around their middle, we used to call this the apple shape versus the pear shaped figures in women. If you're apple shaped and you're prone to, to laying down fat around your midriff, you're a higher risk anyway, because it's that visceral fat around the, the midriff that will provide lots and lots of estrogen. Um, and then maintaining a, a good active lifestyle. So the, there is evidence that even separating out BMI and weight, if you are active, you will have less um, estrogen floating around your system than if you are inactive. Okay, we might get we might get back onto that and provide some okay. recommendations for people for people at the end. You you mentioned kind of the general kind of diet that, that we have and, and we know that we tend to eat more processed foods mm -hmm. um, and potentially dairy or red meats and things like that. Um, what I think there's been some research potentially around like the the Mediterranean diet. So yeah. what what is it in that diet that's that's more beneficial? Okay, so uh, people who what we tend to eat, or not you and I, but like over here in the West, they call it the Western diet or the standard American diet, which is rich in or high in sugars and saturated fats. It's processed foods. The Mediterranean diet is classically more whole grains and seeds and legumes and fresh vegetables, berries, cruciferous vegetables like your broccoli and cauliflower. Um, they use olive oil instead of, say, sunflower oil or butter or whatever to, to cook their foods as well. They don't tend to eat as much in the way of eggs and milk and cheese and, and other kind of red meats and processed meats. They tend to steer more towards chicken, fish or vegetarian dishes as well. And have we seen that this is better for prevention or recovery or is there, is there much research around those type of things? Couldn't tell you about recovery, but certainly better for prevention. So there's a, a guy in the States called Walter Longo. He's written a book called The Longevity Diet, which he wanted to call the anti-cancer diet, but he wasn't allowed to because the FDA wouldn't approve it. But he talks about or what got him interested in it was he's from Italy uh, or he's got family in Italy. And he noted the number of octogenarians who were really, really healthy in Italy versus how people get really quite sick, quite young in America when he moved across to America. So this started him down that rabbit hole of looking at what they eat versus what we eat in the, over here in the West and how that might um, help prevent cancer, help recover from cancer. But yeah, really, it's fascinating, but it's very complex. <laughs> I, 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 I do know of the book. I don't know if I've, I've looked at it in much detail. Somebody else I've seen on Netflix who's looking at all the octogenarian type different pockets around the world and and I think there was really interesting. I can't remember who it was. I'm not sure if you do. Um, I don't. But if anyone was interested in, there is yeah. there's really interesting Netflix documentary which looks at this in terms of physical activity, diet, yeah. um, and I think there's some populations that have almost started to turn turn it around. And there's some populations where, in fact, he did some studies in the states, and there's some like towns where he's worked on changing this diet and physical activity. Anyway. People go and find it on Netflix. It's really yeah, interesting it in this really space. Totally random from what we're talking about, but it's yeah. very interesting. So, so I'll be I'll be sure to have a look at that. 
this is a slight aside, but I've had some students do uh, what we call a systematic review and meta-analysis with their project with me. So this is basically looking at the literature systematically, reviewing it all, and then pulling out the data from that and then doing a statistical analysis on this. And so I've had these students do this on looking at fasting, intermittent fasting, and this fasting mimicking diet, which is what Walter Longo promotes. Um, the, the idea behind it is that when you are undergoing chemotherapy, obviously chemotherapy targets all your rapidly growing and dividing cells, right? When you fast, your body shuts down all the non-essential processes, including metabolism. So you know, things like your hair and your nails, which are typically targeted when you um, undergo chemotherapy, often you see people either losing their hair or getting really bristle nails. When they fast as they're going through chemo, that actually almost serves like a magic shield to protect the healthy cells because they're no longer growing and dividing rapidly but the cancer cells don't adhere to this they carry on and so the chemotherapy almost selectively targets them but there's very little research in that at the moment so it's not like we can absolutely say but anyway that that sort of thing fascinates me the, the role that diet plays in it sounds like we need to do another podcast around in <laughs> another podcast around intermittent fasting and, and those kind Maybe. of things potentially in the future um we'll we'll line that up afterwards but okay. yeah no, that, that is really that is really interesting um so i suppose we are actually here really to talk because obviously in the news recently um yeah. <laughs> we've mentioned about an astrazol um it's been recently approved so how effective is this this new drug Oh, it's really no, not so, or not so new. Drug. It's not a new drug. It's a repurposed yes. drug. So it has been used for years to treat breast cancer. And uh, I don't know if you know much about the breast cancer treatment process, but the, with certain drugs that you'll take them for five to 10 years after your initial diagnosis, surgery, chemotherapy. Um, so it's called an aromatase inhibitor. An aromatase is an enzyme that helps to produce estrogen. So what happens is we have androgens in our body, like testosterone as an example, and this enzyme aromatase helps to convert that androgen to estrogen. So the drug works by blocking that enzyme so that you end up with less estrogen in the body. That's how that's the kind of nuts and bolts of how it works. But also if you are a lean weight and you reduce the amount of fat cells that you have particularly around your, your visceral fat around your, your belly then you are lowering your levels of estrogen anyway naturally without having to take a drug so the drug is very very useful very as useful. is an active lifestyle and, yeah. and, and, a, and a good diet is is the key message i suppose yeah. how how useful are we talking that, that they're predicting this drug will be so they're predicting it's going to have cancer risk so reduce it by 50 percent the uh, Cancer Research UK have said that if just one in four of the eligible women take it, that could prevent around 2,000 cases of breast cancer. And in terms of, I don't know if you're going to ask this later on, or can I say it now about NHS? Go for it. The, the costing. So the cost of an astrazole over a five-year course of treatment is about £78. That's nothing, is it? It's 4p a day. Versus if you were to then take this, this one in four women of eligible women taking it and you're preventing 2,000 cases, that could save £15 million in treatment costs, according to NHS England. So it's hugely impactful, not only could it prevent a lot of trauma, heartache, illness, disease, potentially deaths, but we're also saving the NHS <laughs> a lot of money. So, I mean, it obviously seems like a no-brainer and that's probably why it's been in the news, you know, so yeah. much. You mentioned about 
if the the population target take it who who are the population targets so is this for everybody or is this just no, good for specific no. the people pe the people it's designed for are those who are at risk so your postmenopausal women and those who are overweight and obese are typically within that that bracket uh, i was doing a bit of digging into some research on the basis of a, one of the lines you know the paper i sent you beforehand the fact that black women die more frequently or there's a higher death rate amongst black women versus white women from breast cancer they're more at risk of developing the one the most dangerous type of breast cancer it's called triple negative breast cancer it's hard to treat because this drug for example wouldn't work on it um but those if they if they breastfeed for example that can help reduce their risk as well so these are okay. the people who are at risk so they're not they're not people who are targeted because of specific breast cancer that they potentially not, not triple negative but all women who are at risk overweight or postmenopausal, then they will be able they'll be eligible to take the drug Okay, and the the success rate. How long how long do we how much evidence do we have around this? Is there lots of evidence for over over years? Because I think has this been used post breast cancer previously? What do you mean post breast cancer? So this has been used as a breast cancer treatment, and once a patient has had the surgery and mastectomy or whatever, um, they will take this drug for up to five years, sometimes longer, beyond their surgery. And so, so this is where it's been proved to yeah. okay. So this is where it's been proved to extend the 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 life expectancy of, of yeah. people and what we're saying is that actually taking it as a preventative measure is what this drug is going to do yeah exactly brilliant see if i understand it then everybody's going to understand it that's excellent <laughs> so you've explained that very very well um yeah. are there are there any side effects from taking the drug ironically yes uh, they provide side effects of menopause so hot flashes uh night sweats insomnia things like that but that's temporary side effects or in most individuals it's only temporary you only have it for a few weeks and then as your body adjusts you should hopefully feel a bit more human <laughs> so the side effects are there but it's manageable for most people, for most um, people yeah yeah okay so it sounds like a, a an absolute no-brainer that people should be taking this um but we did speak about prior prior to this conversation on the podcast we spoke about this around around people and medication and we all know you know people talk about this all the time if if exercise could be put into a pill it'd be the most prescribed and people yeah. are you know hoping that pill arrives one day it it seems like in the breast cancer kind of field the pill has arrived um in in yeah. this sense potentially however and and this is probably a point that we both are interested in the benefits of physical activity and a healthy diet do they are they are they are they bigger than this tablet we probably don't know that it's probably a silly question mm -hmm. but what i'm probably getting at is what should people be doing okay is that waiting for the drug or is that a combination i think we already know the answer but i think we already know the answer to that but i want to circle back to that how big is the or how big is the effect of physical activity i think it's more wide-ranging so this drug is very specific it only targets the one enzyme and it only it's not going to stop you getting breast cancer it's just reducing your risk by 50 percent so you still have a risk of getting it you could argue that you still do if you're physically active and you maintain a lean weight i know personally a friend who died from triple negative breast cancer and she used to run ultra marathons so it's not quite as simple as if you're fit and healthy you'll not get cancer and if you're not you will it's, there's a lot more that goes into it um, but i think the biggest thing that any woman can do to protect herself is try to maintain a healthy body weight so keep that bmi if you can between 20 and 25 um keep active 
do as much activity as you are comfortable doing. But ideally, the, the current guidelines is to do 150 minutes. So that could be three to five <laughs> half hour to one hour sessions in a week. And ideally, if it's five sessions, you'd have two of them would be, say, uh, resistance training or weights. And the other three would be aerobic training. Um, eating a balanced, healthy diet. So rich in high, high in fibre, rich in leafy greens, low in salt, low in refined sugars moderate your alcohol consumption ideally give up smoking and try to not eat processed food if it's got a label on it it's, it's not fresh and healthy <laughs> go go for the fresh and healthy as much as possible and cook from fresh i totally understand that it's easier said than done you know i myself work a very very busy job and there are times when i get home from work and i do not want to start cooking from fresh um so i i understand that it's not quite as cut and dried as i make out but yeah, that's the, 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 the advice is there and, and, and there for, for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people struggle. And I think we'll probably in other podcasts can kind of talk in depth more about some of those issues and, and some of those problems. But I suppose the other ones as well, where you mentioned that this is a drug that targets one element. So the addition of physical activity to impact upon other elements it is quite important. Are, are there specifically other elements that you you've researched or you, you know around that? That will help yeah, in this so space being being active and being a maintaining a healthy weight lowers your risk of lots of different diseases so cardiovascular disease is probably the number one killer in the world at the moment uh, if you are healthy and maintain a healthy weight and and are active you're much lower you have a much lower risk of cardiovascular disease it can reduce uh, type 2 diabetes as well it can help with um, your mental health as well so it's not just it's not just about the physical health it can also have a huge impact on your mental health um so yeah, the, the effects of physical activity are wide ranging, far beyond cancer prevention. That was the one I was uh, aiming for, the uh, the community side of things. And obviously you yeah. mentioned CrossFit earlier and, and the gym that we ho have. Yeah. Many gyms nowadays are plugging around that. And you've got you've got this element where, I mean, I don't know where you are. I can see your background is Loughborough, but I'm at I'm home at, at the home moment. I'm actually at home in Leicester at the moment. <laughs> so I'm at, I'm at home in Nottingham. So many of us can now work from home a lot more. And yep. that connection that you may have had socially at work has probably been reduced by a lot of people. Yeah. Um, and we certainly find within our gym that people do want to connect. So as soon as the online COVID stuff started to end and the gym was open, we stopped online straight away. There's people who are brilliant at online. Good for them. We're not. We are all about that connection, those people. And I think that that mental health side is this addition. So you know this drug and, and don't take us wrong here this this drug sounds like an absolutely brilliant thing yeah um you know let, let's certainly and put that save across many, many lives. um yeah. and we'll save many lives and and cost them if that's important then, then brilliant you know but the added benefits of exercise and nutrition are vast and mm -hmm. i think you know we we all know the issues with time and you know with the difficulties around eating that healthy balanced diet around that but that social interaction and any physical activity is better than none. I think yeah. is a huge message that personally both yeah. you and I would probably like to get across there. Yeah. So I, I I think a lot of people think hear exercise and think I've got to go running or something like that. And they think it's about doing some grueling intensive regime that you're going to absolutely hate. I myself, I love Les Mills Shabam. It's a dance class. I go to Hinkley Leisure Centre three times a week and I do that and body combat and body pump as well. So I try to get a bit of variety. But for me, Shabam puts such a smile on my face. Even if I had the worst day at work, I know I'll come out of there with a smile on my face. So it's not about having to to force myself to do something I don't like 
it's about finding something that you do enjoy and then trying to incorporate as more of that as possible and little things like when I work at home I don't always do it but I try to go to the toilet upstairs instead of the one just behind me downstairs because it's a, a few extra steps during the day otherwise I'd be sitting at my computer for you know 10 hours without moving <laughs> I, I used to have a great routine I've got a quite a bad knee injury at the moment my routine I'd be at the computer at seven I'd work till about 12 go for a run and then do a few hours afterwards I, I can't do that now so I'm actually having to go into Loughborough much more so I can go yeah. and use Powerbase yeah. and that kind of smile on your face type thing in our gym we talk about um a, mem a member's gym session should be the best thing they do that day yeah and if they have walked in stressful they should be walking out of there smiling and if they're not we've failed at our job and yeah. that is the the mantra within our gym and, and and thankfully many people do you know most people do walk out thinking i'm really glad i came yeah and oh, you, you know and it's partly the people you meet and it's partly the endorphins that are released from all the exercise that you do. And it's partly the sense of achievement as well, I suppose. So there's a whole, you were talking earlier on about, um, we know what the, the the guidelines are, but we don't always do it. There's a huge piece around motivation and behaviour change, isn't there? And like understanding the psychology of why we do the things that we do, or understanding the psychology of why we know what we need to do and we don't do it. And that's beyond my research experience, but perhaps Ian Taylor could weigh in on that. <laughs> Yeah, we've had Ian on before. He's looked yep. at motivation to exercise. That was yep. obviously we threw that out there last January. So anybody who wants some motivation, go and go and listen to to Ian's yep. podcast. I think there's also a bit that you touched on there around exercise as well, because you know we can talk about going to Hinkley Leisure Centre and and going and doing Shazam or you know and, and whatever it, Shabam. Oh, it's changing. Shazam I know you're becoming Les Mills dance, so that's sad, but I'm sure it'll be equally as fun. <laughs> And look, Les Mills have been very successful for a very, oh, very long exactly. time and, and they change things very well. And, and, you know, huge business model and, and there's, there's people all over the world who do Les Mills and it's and it's great, you know. But the one thing we talk about in our gym is we talk about people coming to the gym so that they can do other things outside the gym. For us, yeah. for us is great in the in the gym, but actually we want you to come so you can do all that cool stuff that you really want to do out there. Yeah. Go and do it. So. We uh, we hook up with a company, a company a charity called Hike with Mike, um, and so many people from Agim go go hiking once a yeah. month. But um, going you know, to builds their strength, so that they're able to do it more capably. Yeah, hundred yeah. percent. Exactly, exactly. That's the kind of thing that we we really believe in. The gym is there as a as an essential piece to help you to live better lives. Yeah. Um, and that that strength you mentioned strength training twice a week and, and you you know your potential cardio three times a week well yeah we, we will specialize in strength training we'll provide a lot of cardio stuff as well but yeah. if you may minimum just come and do two strength sessions a week go for a walk go and play your sport yeah. go and do whatever you go and do your gardening whatever it may be yeah. um and and that's where we we really we really see things um slightly conscious that me and me and you have spoken a little bit more about you know diet and exercise but i think i think that's really important in this okay. in this conversation i think we need to highlight the fact that this is a great new drug and you know really welcoming that it that it's been there the 4p a day is you know something worth talking about and the saving that there can it is. make to the nhs the extended life and the, the you know taking this for 5 years is going to have, have a really big effect on a wide variety of people particularly that that target market of um postmenopausal Mm -hmm. and, and those who are overweight or obese um but in addition to that if people are able to then go and do whatever exercise you can do yeah. change small things in your diet to send them yeah. more towards the diet that we want to it's not a full overhaul it's not go it's not, you no. can only eat you know 
high fiber and leafy greens and cut out alcohol and sugar and everything small changes yeah i used to work with a big difference. therapists called sarah southgate so after the covid jabs i got a, a really strong bout of fatigue which she linked to having had the covid jab anyway i worked with her to try and get my health back on track and she was trying to say to me it's not about overhauling your diet add in more of the good stuff and soon you won't feel the need for the bad stuff and it didn't take much longer than a week of, of doing that before I then was basically eating hardly any sugar at all. <laughs> and, you know, I haven't stuck to it completely. But, you know, I, I, the things, the lessons that I've had, I've learned from her have really helped to uh, embed in my mind and make me think, make me more conscious about what I choose to, to eat each day. So, small yeah that is that is the key isn't it small changes if you can't you know the couch to 5k you know it's a great initiative yeah you know within within i can't remember what it is now eight to ten weeks you can be going from doing nothing to running 5k yeah, it's about nine weeks i think yeah. it's ten weeks but i think i got to 5k within about eight or nine weeks so yeah <laughs> it, it, it's it's brilliant but it is those things isn't it so don't just rely on this drug this drug is brilliant don't just rely on it go yeah. and go and make some some lifestyle changes whether that be exercise whether that be diet, go and do the exercise you love and you want to do. Yeah. You know, we will have people come to our gym and, you know, it's very rare, but they might not like it. Go yeah. and find something else then. You know, yeah. some people come in and love Zumba and things like that. Well, great, do it. Some people it will is... Totally, totally. It's yeah. all about personal taste and what you're into. And one of the best things I like about going to a gym that has lots of different classes is you can try different things. So I have tried all sorts of classes at the gym and there's some that I will not go back to because I don't love them. And then there's others like Shabam that I love so much that I'll never miss it. If I can at all avoid missing it, I'll, I'll be there. <laughs> well, I, I imagine I would be the opposite of where you are with, yeah, with those possibly. things because my coordination is shocking and I look at some of these things and I go, I don't know what you're doing. Oh, it's Let funny, me just go I over here. Persuade my husband's come along and he's like, nope. <laughs> he just refuses to join me. Well, like you, like you said, <laughs> each, each their own. Like, you know, personally, you could give me a barbell and I've got some coordination there. But yeah, yeah don't don't get me on the dance floor unless unless I've had some alcohol, then I'll be yeah. fine. <laughs> but it's been really good speaking to you again um and I, and I certainly think that we could we could probably hook up on a number of other conversations the intermittent fasting one yeah. um, is a particular one that i'd be quite interested in in talking about um and as you mentioned before ho hopefully you get some of that research funding to do your work there with 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 crossfit and with athlete that would be interesting yeah, to be great, to have it? a look at and if you do by all means you know chat to me again and we we can get athlete and yourself on yeah. here and, and have a conversation around the potential of crossfit and impacts that that may have on on cancer or, or health in general um so really appreciate you coming on um, hopefully hopefully the, the audience have got a better understanding of the drug that is called anastrozole <laughs> thank thank you um <laughs> but also the benefits of of a healthy lifestyle and nutrition in in enhancing people's health but also preventing potential for, for getting cancer in the future yeah absolutely 100 percent really really enjoyable thank you very much Thanks, Rory. Thanks for listening to the Experts in Sport podcast. If you'd like to get in touch, then please contact me, Martin Foster, at m.foster at alborough.ac.uk. Thanks for listening. See you next time.